Welcome back to the podcast. This is Virginia Law for Law Enforcement Officers. We're talking about law. We're talking about uh, statutes, cases. What do you need to know as a law enforcement officer in Virginia to do it right? And those of you who've been listening, you know, it's so inspiring to see you guys, to watch you guys listen to the podcast, uh, asking good questions, reaching out, and uh, trying to learn, trying to get better. Um, that's what's always inspired me about this work, that you guys really do uh, want to try to get better, to better serve your communities, to strengthen your communities, and to make sure that you are following your oath to follow the Constitution and its laws. And today, what we're going to be talking about is a case called Garrity from the U.S. Supreme Court and law enforcement procedural rights and uh, Fifth Amendment rights during the course of internal affairs investigations, but also the importance of Garrity when you're doing an investigation, even if it's not of a law enforcement officer or any kind of public official, because that case has implications not just for police and internal investigations, but for all citizens, it's protection uh, and implementation of the Fifth Amendment for all citizens during the course of a criminal investigation. We've been talking a lot about the special session that's going on right now in Virginia that was called to address both the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus epidemic, but also uh, to directed sort of by the governor to uh, and to examine potential uh, police and criminal justice reform. And a bunch of statutes have been proposed. Um, some have passed the House, some have passed the Senate. Nothing yet has got the, gotten to the governor's desk. Uh, but this week, a lot happened in the House. We talked about qualified immunity. Um, that bill uh, did not pass on on Thursday uh, during its vote. It you know died by, I think, one or two votes. But just be aware, I think it's going to come back on Tuesday. Word on the street is it's going to come back for a revote. Um, as it has before, uh, when it's you know it's died in, in committee and then it's you know been brought back for brought back and 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 had a revote again. So we'll see what happens with that. Stay tuned on that. But the House did pass a number of bills uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, one of them was uh, a, a bill about failure of law enforcement to intervene in the use of excessive force, uh, creating a duty for law enforcement to. Uh, respond if they view excessive force. Failure to intervene would be a class one misdemeanor. Failure to intervene in the use of excessive deadly force is a class six felony. And failure to intervene in the use of of deadly uh, or non-deadly force where there's severe injury and permanent and significant physical impairment is a class four felony that passed the House and now goes to the Senate. Um, there is a requirement to for every locality to establish a civilian review board, a law enforcement review board that would go into effect in 2021. Um, that passed the House as well and is going to the Senate. Um, there is a, a bill to prohibit the execution of a, of, a, of a search warrant in a no-knock circumstance. So in other words, without giving notice of identity, authority, and purpose prior to the entry of a place being searched. Um, there is no exigent circumstance exception built into that. So essentially, if you were entering based on an exigent circumstance, you would be, it would be a warrantless entry. Um, and it's interesting, I you know, watching the committee talk about this, they seem to think that this bill wouldn't override the exigent circumstance exception. I'm not so sure about that, uh, but we'll see what happens when it gets to the Senate. Um and that's not, that's not what we're talking about today. Um, there's a uh, but big changes to the um, to DCJS and so on. But the bill I want to focus on today, I want to talk about today with you guys, is a bill about 
a case called Garrity and Internal Investigations. Uh, and this is a bill, this is House Bill 5112, and it's a bill by uh, Delegate Levine. And it has, and it was, and it passed the House uh, on September the 4th. And it has uh, some interesting language in it that brings up a case called Garrity. And I think we talk about Garrity a lot, but what I want to do today is talk to you guys about Garrity and what Garrity means. So if you're a law enforcement officer anywhere in the United States, you have probably heard the term Garrity before. You've heard of the case Garrity, and uh, you have, and, 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 and maybe you've actually read a Garrity waiver to somebody else, or you've had one uh, read to you. But what does that actually mean? What is it talking about? Um, what, is that, what is this case all about? Well, Garrity itself is a case, um, is a case from the U.S. Supreme Court, and it is a case from 1967 which provides that uh, essentially implements the Fifth Amendment in the course of investigations where it's not necessarily a criminal investigation at the beginning. It might just be an internal investigation, but, uh, but it has implications for potential criminality in the future. So in Garrity, the, the people, the defendants in Garrity were New Jersey police officers, and they were questioned originally during an official investigation of allegations of fraudulent conduct. Before the questioning, the officers were advised of their Fifth Amendment right not to answer questions. So they weren't in custody, but they still got uh, a Miranda warning read to them. Okay, and of course, usually in internal investigations or um, you know in any kind of governmental investigation, but people aren't usually in custody. Okay, so you're not. This isn't a classic Miranda problem, but this is a Fifth Amendment issue. It deals with the voluntariness of a statement. And in this case, these police officers were read Miranda, even though they weren't in custody, but they were also told that any refusal to answer any questions would result in their dismissal. And so because of that, they didn't want to get fired. They agreed to talk and they made statements that ultimately were admitted in criminal prosecutions against them. And uh, so the court, when they appealed that to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court concluded that the Fifth Amendment privilege against coerced statements prohibits the use in subsequent criminal proceedings of statements by any person, and again, this is not just police officers, this is private citizens, this is other government employees, whatever, uh, prohibits the use in subsequent criminal proceedings of statements obtained under a threat of removal from office. And, and again, the court emphasized that extends to all, whether they are policemen or other members of the body politic. And so the Supreme Court essentially was expressing a rule that the Fifth Amendment is violated when a suspect's statements are coerced by a threat, not just a threat of physical of hurt, you know, somebody you know, beating you up or punching you, but a threat of an economic sanction. And so there's usually two common features to such a violation. One is the person who's being investigated is explicitly told that their failure to waive their constitutional rights against self-incrimination will result in their discharge from public employment or some similarly severe sanction imposed in the case of private citizens. And there's a statute or a municipal ordinance that mandates such a procedure. Uh, and so uh, what's interesting about this and what, what makes me bring this up is, is that the, the bill that was passed by the House provides a couple of different things. There's a duty to enter a duty by police officers to render aid for a life-threatening condition. So any law enforcement officer anywhere um, who uh, fails to render aid shall be subject to disciplinary action, uh, including dis dis dismissal, demotion, suspension, or transfer. 
Um, but you have the the duty to render aid kicks in when you're on duty. So um, a law enforcement officer who's on duty who witnesses another person suffering serious bodily injury or life-threatening condition shall render aid as circumstances objectively permit um, to that person. But the other thing that it does, uh, it's, it requires a law enforcement officer who witnesses wrongdoing by anybody else. Um, they have to report the wrongdoing. Uh, if you fail to do that, you are going to be, it results in dis- disciplinary action, including dismissal, demotion, suspension, or transfer. And if you have actual knowledge of a commission of a criminal offense by a law enforcement officer, you have a duty to report it. Uh, failure to do so is a class one misdemeanor. And then there's this paragraph, which says, it shall be the duty of all law enforcement officers to cooperate fully with persons lawfully assigned to conduct investigations into wrongdoing. All such officers shall truthfully answer all questions directed to them by law, by investigators, supervisors, or commanders, and shall give pertinent information of which they may have knowledge that is related to the investigation in question. No law enforcement officer shall encourage any person to withhold information or provide untruthful information. In addition to any other penalty authorized by law, any law enforcement officer who violates this subsection shall be subject to disciplinary action, including dismissal, demotion, suspension, or transfer of the law enforcement officer. So what does that mean when it is lined up along with Garrity? So, you know, again, in Garrity, you have these four police officers who were investigated. The the investigation was allegations of ticket fixing, that they were fixing people's tickets um, back in New Jersey in the 1960s. And again, they were all informed of their Miranda warnings, right? But that doesn't mean just because you read someone Miranda doesn't mean you can then go about coercing them into speaking, right? And these, each of them were told they would be subject to removal from office pursuant to state statute. So just, you know, again, the state had a statute. We have a statute now, or we would have a statute under this proposal. And so the officers answered their, their the questions, and over their objections, some of the answers that were given were used in subsequent prosecutions for conspiracy to obstruct the administration of traffic laws. And they appealed that conviction, and they arguing their statements were coerced by reason of the fact that if they refused to answer, they could lose their positions with the police department. And so the court in this case, uh, in Garrity, this case in 1967, held that the statutory scheme was coercive, that the choice given the petitioners was either to forfeit their jobs or incriminate themselves, and the option to lose their means of livelihood or to pay the penalty of self-incrimination is the antithesis of free choice to speak out or remain silent. That practice, like the interrogation, and this is, again, I'm quoting from the court here, that practice, like interrogation practices that we, the court, reviewed in Miranda, is likely to exert such pressure on an individual as to disable him from making a free and rational choice. And so the court wrote, we think that the statements were infected by the coercion inherent in this scheme of questioning and cannot be sustained as voluntary under our prior decisions. The court went on to remark that there are rights of constitutional stature whose exercise a state may not condition by the exaction of a price. We now hold that the protection of the individual against coerced statements prohibits use in subsequent criminal proceedings of statements obtained under a threat of removal from office. Um, And again, this is this is a, a ruling that doesn't just extend to police officers. It's not like this is some special rule that only police get. Um, Lefkowitz versus Cunningham is a 1977 case where a political party officer was required to testify about the conduct of his office. Um, he was subpoenaed before the grand jury. Um, he was told that essentially, again, that he would, if he didn't cooperate, he would be fired. 
and he wouldn't be able to hold any political office for five years. He appeared at the grand jury, refused to sign the waiver of immunity. Um, he lost his job. And the court again said, you can't impose a penalty. Uh, you cannot penalize somebody for asserting their constitutional uh, privilege. Um, and therefore, um, this, the law, the requirement that he must speak or suffer um, the consequences, essentially, uh, was found to be unconstitutional. Um, and this, again, doesn't necessarily, again, doesn't just necessarily apply to, to public employees. It applies to anyone in the criminal justice system who's facing potential economic uh, threat or economic um, punishment. And one really good example of how this works and for uh, for an average citizen, right, a situation where an average citizen could invoke this argument and say the police coerced me into speaking when I uh, – using economic coercion is a case called U.S. versus Giddens. And Giddens is a case out of Baltimore. It's a case from 2017 from the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. And what happens in Giddens is the defendant is a bank robber. He's robbed uh, several different banks over a course of three days, three, three banks in three days. And after the third robbery, the police located and arrested two of his co-conspirators, and they seized his car, which he had used in the robberies. But he gets away. So the police get a warrant for his arrest, and soon thereafter, the defendant shows up at a police department because he wants his car back. So he shows up and he says, hey, I'm, you know, Mr. Giddens and I, and you have my car and I want to get my car back. And the police say, hey, that's great. Come on in here. We want to talk to you. And they say, hey, um, you know, you can, you know, we're not, we're not locking this door, um, but we do have some questions. You're free to go. You can leave anytime you want to, but we do have some questions that we'd like to ask you. And the defendant said, well, am I in trouble here? And they said, no, 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 you're not in any trouble. We're just asking about this car. Because, you know, the car seems to have been involved in doing some bad things. And we want to understand how that can be. Uh, you're not in any trouble, but we want to know what the deal with the car is. And so um, he's got his phone. He starts messing around with his phone. And they're like, hey, look, man, this is a secure area. Um, please turn your phone off. Uh, they take his phone briefly, but they say, just keep your phone off. And, and he says, okay. Um, and they say, uh, okay. And they read him his Miranda warnings. And they said, well, he, and, and, and so he says at this point, well, you, you said I'm free to go. Why am I getting Miranda? And they said, well, this is just, you know, this is procedure. Um, and he says, well, I need my car back. I need this to work. It's essential to my livelihood. I can't work if I don't have a car. And the officer's response was, yeah, well, in order for us to answer these questions, because a vehicle was used in a crime, we have to go over your rights. Before we release the car to you, we need to get some answers for how it was that this car uh, ends up being used in all these criminal offenses. And so we need to have those answers before we release the car back to you. So they start talking to him and they confront him with the facts. And eventually, of course, obviously, he confesses to having robbed these uh, three different banks. And the defendant appeals. So again, go back to Garrity. Go back to the fundamental concept that the court expresses in the Garrity case, right? What are they telling us? They're telling us that the state cannot impose substantial penalties on somebody because a witness elects to exercise their Fifth Amendment right not to give incriminating testimony against themselves, right? Um, and so that's the concept, right, that Garrity is constantly reaffirming. And the court is reaffirming from Garrity. And so appealing to the Fourth Circuit, the court, the Fourth Circuit reverses his conviction and rules that the evidence should have been suppressed. The court found that a reasonable person would have felt unable to cease the interview and thus forfeit the opportunity to obtain the return of the vehicle. 
Again, the police read Miranda to him, just like the just like the officers investigating the Garrity and the other police officers in New Jersey in 67 read Miranda. Just reading Miranda doesn't solve the problem here, right? The defendant is, in fact, in this case, not even in custody. Uh, in, in, in the Fourth Circuit case that we're talking about now, um, in, in Giddens, the defendant wasn't in custody, and the Garrity officers, again, weren't in custody. But here, the statement that the one they tell him that he's not in trouble and that's a false statement because he is in trouble certainly um but it's a ploy to mislead him or to lull him into a false sense of security um that's not again something that is illegal under miranda but the deception is starting to is used to get the defendant to waive his miranda rights and to and to effectuate this economic compulsion against the defendant and that's the problem here Right, um, and so the defendant's will is overborne, and in this case, then um, his waiver is invalid, and his statements were I- inadmissible, and the court suppre- uh, suppressed the evidence. Now, I caution that this doesn't mean that anything that the police that police officers say during the course of an internal investigation is inadmissible in a criminal case. So notice again, there's this compulsion that becomes really important, um, but it's not, you know, that compulsion doesn't exist in every internal investigation. And a good example of this is Murray versus Commonwealth. It's a 2013 case out of Portsmouth where uh, the defendant, who's a police officer, um, stole a, embezzled a television set um, during the course of his duties. So what happens in Murray is this uh, officer is a Portsmouth police officer, and there are there's a bunch of property that's seized from an illegal gambling operation, um, and that property includes this television set. So ultimately, the pl- the case gets dropped, and all the property seized from the illegal gambling place has to be returned to the company, the, the returned to the people who um, who run the gambling operation. So they return everything to the to them. But one of the things that they had seized from them was a television set, and the TV couldn't be found anywhere. It had been stored in a Portsmouth police, um, you know, blocker, and it was missing from the locker. So a sergeant starts looking for the TV, like texting people like, hey, look, where's the TV? I need to find the TV. No response, no response, no response. And so finally, the sergeant sends out a text and is like, look, man, I really got to get this TV back. Um, No questions asked, like just bring the TV back. No questions asked. And at that point, when he sends out this text that says no questions asked, um, one of the, the about you know about a you know a couple of days later, the TV is returned. It's back, and the question is, well, who brought it in? And the answer is, it's the defendant. It's Mr. Murray. So the lieutenant tracks down the defendant and says, "Hey, um, where's the TV?" You know what's the deal? Where's the TV? And the the defendant says, "Well, it's here. It's in the office. We got it." And he says, "Okay, but where was the TV? How did it get here? Why is it here now? It wasn't here before." And the defendant's response was, "Well, you said no questions going to be asked. So now you're asking questions. That's not you know the deal was no questions asked." Um, and the lieutenant said, "Well, look, man, you're either going to answer me or you're going to have to go down to internal affairs. But you're going to have to answer somebody as to what happened to this television." Um, and so at that point, then um, the, um, uh, the defendant makes a, an inculpatory statement. So 
the question there in this case is, does that is that statement compelled for purposes of the Garrity case, right? I mean, in some senses, right, when your lieutenant tells you, like, look, man, you either answer me or you answer internal affairs, but you got to bring, you got to tell me. Um, and here, obviously, there was some deception involved, right, because he says there's no questions asked. So is that a violation of Garrity? And the Court of Appeals addresses this, and they answer, no, it's not a violation of Garrity. So why is this not a violation of Garrity while the other cases that we talked about are? Well, again, here, he's certainly questioned by his lieutenant. But the question is, is there a potential threat of economic sanction? That is to say, is there a threat of dismissal from employment such that, to the extent that then the officer's statement would be coerced under the Fifth Amendment um, and therefore uh, protected from admission at a criminal trial. But the court looks at this and says, all right, again, you cannot compel somebody to be a witness against themselves. And therefore, you have a right not just, just to, not only to not testify, but it also privileges you to not answer questions in a proceeding, civil or criminal, formal or informal, where the uh, questions might be used against you in a, in a future proceeding, right? Um, and... The court looks again at the sort of the, the, the features of, um, of Garrity. It says there's two common features of cases that invoke Garrity. Um, the person being investigated is explicitly told that the failure to waive their constitutional right against self-incrimination will result in his discharge from public employment or a similarly severe sanction imposed in the case of private citizens, right? So like Mr. Giddens, right? He's not getting his car back and then he's, he has no way to get to work. And there's a state or, or statute or a municipal ordinance that mandates that kind of procedure. And so they look at it, then they apply those rules to this case and they say, you know, um, it's n there's no explicit threat in this case that I mentioned here in Murray of an explicit threat of discharge or other economic sanction. And therefore, the court finds that this is not uh, under the protective cloak of Garrity, right? Uh, the, the lieutenant and the sergeant had sent out texts saying, you've got to bring this TV back, right? The defendant, Mr. Murray, brings the TV back. And then when a supervisor figures out, hey, look, this TV's back, where he wants to find out where it is, um, he says, well, if you don't tell me, then you're going to go down to internal, then internal affairs is going to ask you, right? So you can either tell me or you can go down the hall and talk to them. So that threat, right, is, is not a threat to remove him from office. It's not a threat to any kind of sanction in the eyes of the court. Um, it's not presenting him with a choice of either asking, answering the question or losing his job or livelihood. It is a threat that there, if you don't answer me, there's going to be an investigation. Um, and that, at, but at that point, there was no investigation, right? At that point, he's just saying, if you don't answer the question, basically, there's going to be an investigation. Internal affairs is going to have to get involved. And the prospect of being a named subject in an investigation in and of itself is not, in the eyes of the court, sufficient to bring about any kind of com uh, compulsion or coercion that would violate Garrity. So you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, well, but, you know, obviously for the officer, when he hears internal affairs is going to get involved, doesn't subjectively he think, well, then, then it's going to hit the fan, right? Because they're going to get involved. They're going to start investigating. At some point, they're going to figure out that I was involved in taking the TV, and so I'm going to lose my job. But the Court of Appeals has, and other courts have agreed, 
the subjective concern on the part of a defendant that he might receive some disciplinary action is not sufficient to prove a state compulsion or coercion that forces you to answer questions against your will, right? I mean, if you think about it, you know, a defendant comes in, you invite somebody to come in voluntarily, they've committed a murder, they've shot somebody, they've killed somebody. You're bringing them in and you're asking questions like, hey, where were you last week? Um, trying to understand because you said you were at home. Uh, but, you know, we asked your wife and your wife said, no, you weren't at home and we can't corroborate that you were at home. It looks like uh, that your car was in the shop and so you didn't have a way to get back home from work. Um, you were taking the bus, but the bus stopped running that day. So how did you get home? It's not clear. We talked to your coworkers. They said that you, you know, I mean, so your story's not working, right? Subjectively, the defendant in this case is going to start thinking, they're on to me. They're going to figure this out. I'm going to be forced to admit that I committed this murder. But that subjective compulsion, right, that, um, you know, sort of the, the Edgar Allan Poe te telltale heart, that, you know, that compulsion that's inside of you that starts compelling you and, and coercing you, that's not what the Fifth Amendment protects from. It protects from a state-created um, actual objective threat that exists. And that threat is what's required to violate Garrity. If in the absence of that, there's no Garrity violation. And again, here in this case, in Murray with the stolen TV, an investigation wouldn't necessarily have resulted in the imposition of an economic penalty or say a severity other than maybe in just an oral reprimand, right? There might have just been a, a reprimand against the officer um, you know, just, you know, hey, look, you can't be fooling around with, with stuff like this. Don't do it again. Um, and so again, there's no pressure upon him to disable such that he doesn't, he no longer has a free and rational choice. And so therefore, because they weren't, the statements weren't obtained by result of unlawful police coercion, um, the statements were admissible and the conviction was affirmed. And, but notice here again in Murray, you know, the, the officer is not in custody. We're not talking about a custody issue. We're talking about a coercion issue, right? And that's what's crucial to note in this particular case. Which brings us back to the issue of the uh, proposed bill, right, the, from the General Assembly. So certainly the bill sets about an economic sanction, an economic uh, punishment, right, dismissal or transfer or demotion or whatever for not cooperating with an internal investigation. But, uh, you know, then you, your reaction would be, okay, well, isn't that unconstitutional? Isn't it, in, in other words, isn't it forbidden under the Fifth Amendment to force somebody to, to, um, to testify against themselves or provide incriminating information? And the answer to that question, interestingly, though, is no, it's not unlawful to force somebody. It's unlawful to use that against them in a criminal proceeding. And that's where we get to this term, this concept called a Garrity waiver, right? And that's how we're going to kind of close up today is talking about this. So a Garrity waiver, essentially, and, and a com common Garrity waiver will say something like this. And I'll start out with telling you the purpose of this questioning is to obtain information which will assist in the determination of whether administrative disciplinary action is warranted, right? So somebody's investigating what happened to this TV, the TV went missing, we give you a Garrity warning, and the Garrity warning says we're doing administrative investigation. The statement says, I'm not questioning you for the purposes of an instituting criminal proceeding against you. This is not a criminal investigation. During the course of this proceeding, even if you disclose information which indicates that you may be guilty of criminal conduct in this matter, neither your self-incriminating statements nor the fruits thereof will be used against you in a criminal proceeding. So you're basically getting immune, use immunity for these statements in a criminal case. 
Then uh, this statement, a, Garrity, a common Garrity warning will state, I am ordering you to answer the questions that I direct you to, direct to you concerning this matter. And if you refuse to answer my questions, you will be subject to immediate dismissal. And so, again, this Garrity warning, this Garrity uh, statement, basically says, we're go- whatever internal investigation we're doing, whatever you say during the course of internal investigation cannot be used against you in a court of law because we are forcing you to do this. So if you're looking at this statute and thinking, well, this is unconstitutional, it's not unconstitutional to fire a law enforcement officer for failing to cooperate during an internal investigation. It is unconstitutional to use that officer's statements that were compelled, right? So saying, if you don't answer my question, I'm firing you. Okay, fine. The answer is I took the TV. Great. Now I'm going to take you into court and use that statement against you. That's unconstitutional. But what happened to the TV? I refuse to answer based on my Fifth Amendment rights. Great. You're fired. That's not unconstitutional. They can force you to answer. They just cannot use the answers that you give against you in a court of law to criminally prosecute you. Right? So that's basically the implication there. I will leave you with one more thought, one more thing to think about as we go today. Um, we've talked a lot about economic coercion, and I think economic coercion makes sense. But keep in mind, the Fifth Amendment protects people against having any statement that is compelled, that, is, that they are forced to make against them in court. And, you know, imagine a situation, for example, where you're responding to a hospital and there's a child who suffered severe head trauma. The doctor tells you, look, this child was shaken, violently shaken uh, for a long time by their parent. This is not from a fall. The parents say it was from a fall. It's not. So you go out to the parents and you say, what happened to this kid? He fell off the couch is the answer they get. No, he didn't. It clearly he did not. The doctor says this fall, if it happened from a fall, would have been from a four-story window. This, something bad happened to this child. No, 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 we don't know. He just fell from a couch. That's all that happened. So I think a natural tactical response would be to say, okay, look, here's the deal. You don't have to tell me the truth because you're not under arrest, right? You're not in custody, so you don't get Miranda warnings. Um, But CPS is going to come here pretty soon because this child is in a lot of, you know, danger and may die and is going to suffer brain damage. They're going to ask what happened to this child. Something really bad happened to this child. And your answer is not the answer that they're going to accept because it's not accurate and and it's a lie. It's a false statement. So they're not going to let you have your child back until you tell me the truth about or until you tell them the truth about what happened to this kid. So let's start from the beginning. What happened to this kid, right? So that's a, tactically speaking, right, that's a very effective interview technique, potentially. But notice what I'm trying to do here. I'm using not economic compulsion, but indeed a more fundamental compulsion, that you're not getting your child back until you tell me what the truth is. That kind of coercion isn't a violation of Miranda because they're not in custody, but it may very well be, and I think a court would likely find that it's a compulsion under the, in violation of the Fifth Amendment, forcing someone to be a witness against themselves. And so whatever statement they make then uh, may not be admissible against them, probably will not be admissible against them in a court. Uh, I, I, I mean, I would be surprised if a court would admit that. I think a court would probably say that's, that's excessive compulsion and we're not going to admit that in a criminal trial against the parents if it's found that the parents did uh, hurt this child in violation of the law. So, um, so again, Garrity is here as a protection for all citizens, police, government officials, political appointees, private citizens, uh, against being having their having statements that they're forced to make used against them in a criminal proceeding. And um, that's that's all I got today. That's that's what we got. So hopefully you found that interesting. Uh, if you like the podcast, tell your friends. 
If you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. Uh, but that's all from me. That's all from Big E. Stay safe and don't get captured.